0: Welcome, citizens, to the eighth episode of Liberty Vigilance. We'd like to update everyone about our live show and panel appearances at Potter and Love in New Orleans on the weekend of October 10th. We'll be premiering a brand new tale from the Tower, The Narrows, which will feature the voices of Horatius McBride, Sean Francis, as well as many other voices you've heard on the show, like Sarah Werner from Girl in Space, Sean Howard from Alba Salix, Royal Physician, Pacific S. Obadiah from Lake Clarity and Tales from the Tower, as well as our very own Daniel Demarin, Zoe Von Embler, and Joy Taylor. Also, if you use the promo code LIBERTY at the website POTTERN.LOVE, you will save 10% on your tickets. POTTERN LOVE will also be featuring other great panels and live audio drama performances as well, including a personal favorite of mine, The Breakers Podcast. We're also very excited to meet some of you and hope to see you there. Well, it's time for us to get started, so thank you again for listening, and remember, Atreus endures
1: Liberty, Vigilance. Episode 8 The Long March In a large second-floor room at Hull Poke, the team awakes from a long rest, fully recovered. Each was provided with Sark clothing to wear and two meal to consume over the last ten hours by the waitstaff, allowing them to avoid consuming their own dwindling stock. Neat. What flavor? The flavors varied. Diana Azad received tofu and pork... Silvanus Clairhout received tofu and chicken. Cassius Sogat received two tofu, and Horatius McBride received two chicken. Oh, yeah. Double chicken.
2: Can I trade you for pork? What did you get? Tofu. Sure. Thanks. No, thank you. Just as a heads up, that Flick guy's downstairs. While you were all sleeping, I went ahead and hired him for the duration of our time in the Fringe. He's someone we can trust. I've worked with him before. Wait, what? Yeah... Well, I have something of an admission to make. In addition to working for the DCO, I'm also with the DSS, Division of Fringer Relations. This isn't my first time in the Fringe.
3: Well, that puts things in perspective.
2: I joined a few years ago to find my parents who, well, to make a long story short, were last seen in the Fringe. I normally work undercover and assess threats to Atreus from out here, like Hobbs.
4: That explains your tattoos. Yes, sort of. Did you know Hobbs before this mission?
2: No. Most agents work alone to avoid situations similar to the one Hobbs was in.
3: How many times have you been to the Fringe?
2: Seven. This is my eighth mission technically, although it's not from the DFS. I apologize for concealing this information from you until now. But I honestly had no idea that we'd actually be going to the Fringe, and it never felt appropriate to bring up. Until now.
5: I was wondering why Tongs was so comfortable sending us out into the Fringe. Have you worked with him before?
2: No, I've never worked with him, but I have heard the name spoken a few times. I thought the name belonged to a woman, but perhaps there is more than one tongs in the DFR. What's important, though, is that we follow the mission and get home alive.
3: So this Flick, he's trustworthy, then?
2: Yes. Despite what the propaganda would tell you, you can occasionally rely on the odd fringer or two to not betray you. Flick will continue to work for us, so long as we help him pay off his debts when our mission is complete. How much debt? I'll take care of it. He's aware that you're all any citizens, but he still thinks I'm a fringer who's working with you. So long as the arrangement continues that way, he'll be reliable.
4: Well, that sounds nice to me. While we're talking about additional help, do we want to hire anyone else while we're here? We've got a long walk ahead of us. Are we thinking we should take the baby, or...? I mean pep? Take the baby?
5: (laughs) (laughs) War baby! Battle baby. I mean, we can take Hawk. She was pretty cheap. If she's still even around.
2: She is. Almost all of the mercenaries from last night are still here, except for the doctor and the immortal gang. They seemed like regulars.
4: I mean, on the other hand, it sounds like we're going to be pretty safe during our travels, and more or less welcomed with open arms once we arrive. How much help could we need?
5: Well, we now have Susan.
4: Yeah, (laughs) the deadly...
3: (laughs) Plus, I'm sure the prostitutes will be quite scrappy, so we'll have that going for us.
4: Yeah, that's fair. I wouldn't really let any of them, uh... uh, Well, I won't go into uh, gory details, but I don't really know how much extra help we'll need, necessarily. What do we think?
2: Mmm...
5: Okay, so what are our numbers? We'll be... We're four right now. We'll be five because we have Flick. So if we got Hawk, it would be six. And we're carrying four people. Well, not carrying, but you know what I
2: mean. I'll make the preparations with Bayard to get the shipment ready.
4: You mean Bayard and the slaves? Yeah. All right. uh, Well, uh, I tell you what, why don't you go talk to Hawk? Because uh, if I've learned anything from our recent excursions, it's that I shouldn't talk to anybody then you can see what's uh, what's going on there and whether or not it's going to be worth it. Oh. I think that you are Sylvanas. The poor
5: one who has not enough money to pay anyone for anything.
4: Well, look, I can give you some meal. How much you need? Like 20, 30?
5: <laughs> He's like, let me just offer you way more meal than you have.
3: Way more than either of us make in a year.
5: <laughs> I mean, I don't plan on paying her more than 10, so just give me another 10 and I'll go negotiate, hopefully.
4: Uh, he, he forks over 10 meal, Literally without a second thought.
5: <laughs> it's like what does this guy do for a living? I make and th- I make this stuff and they don't pay me with this stuff. <laughs> Alright. Moving on. Gonna talk to the Hawk lady person.
1: Azad walks downstairs to speak with Hawk, who's in a different seat from the previous night, playing a card game with three other fringers.
6: Hey
5: funny lady. How you doing? Hey.
1: You're bluffing. Um, sure. Meet it then. Ah, uh, bold. I'm in. I'll meet you.
5: La- last time
6: we we paid you well? Yeah. Final cards.
5: How much we pay you?
2: Well, I got to keep some of the stuff I found.
5: Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's well tonight? I Is got you? a nice run for the Sark. Slave run to
2: Penny. Are <laughs> oh. you not used to running slaves or something? Uh,
1: what? I'll see you, yellow user. Show 'em.
2: You'll see nothing but pain with these cards. Five skulls, gutter
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Serves you right.
2: Play you later, losers. I asked you if you was new to running slaves.
5: No, but there's only five of us and four of them.
2: Oh, okay. And you're... This is like Sark business, yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's easy. Okay. Uh, what
5: are you thinking? For now. Another five when we get to the Throb. That's one of Penny's bars. Mm.
2: So nine. Just to walk with you to... Whoa, the Throb? Wait, that's on the other side of the world. I don't have any friends in the southeast. It's the southeast,
5: right? Yes, I believe it is in the southeast. What about, uh...
2: Fifteen. I only say that because I don't live there. It's like getting back is going to be a pain. I'm going to be there for probably two weeks, and fifteen will probably cover me for two weeks.
5: It's not going to. It's not going to take.
2: Two no, weeks. no, me being there. I got stuff to trade that I'll probably have to load up on. <sighs> well, then
5: you'll be you'll be making bank when you get to the southeast if you've got stuff to trade.
2: That's no, it's kind of the opposite. I got a little. I don't have a place to stay, and it's kind of a pain, and it's risky. It's risky, risky. <laughs> Folk they are poor. I shouldn't risk my life for being risky.
5: So how about ten? We'll do... Four now. Two on the road. I want six now. No. Why are you paying me on the road? What's the road? Is this... Because you said you got to eat on the road. No, 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 no. I'm going to be there for two weeks. Probably. Maybe more. Four now, six
2: then. Okay, okay, that sounds pretty nice. Oh, also, do you got any acid on you? Like a, a little flask of acid? I'm kind of I'm learning how to etch metal and kind of looking for that kind of stuff.
5: I don't have acid, but I have a tin if you want to etch it. Sure, so ten and a 10 We're nice. All right.
1: Azad shakes Hawk's hand, noting that it has a peculiarly unpleasant smell to it.
5: <laughs> All right, so... Oh, I also have two more tin, because I ate two meal last night. Um,
4: oh, yeah, hey, so do I.
5: So, um, I'm gonna go ahead and give her the four now.
3: You guys ready to go in?
4: Uh, I think that I've gotten about as much out of the whole poke as I'm really going to.
3: Especially now that I have Susan. Where are we keeping that 400 meal, by the way?
2: These nice backpacks. And...
3: And if we stole 400 meal, what are they eating right now?
2: They're probably living And eating each other. I'll
3: well, sleep sound.
2: Yes, but nobody who saw us...
5: Like upstairs, saw us.
4: No one who saw us survived. Yeah. That's like, a bad
1: thing.
5: There's no reason they should think it's us.
1: Sweet. I will stop worrying. Unknown to the group, the Lucky Eights gang is currently fighting another faction several blocks away that took credit for the team's masterful theft.
5: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have Flick and Hawk and. Four slaves to transport to a completely different sector of the French. We're going
4: deeper to yeah.
6: no, the idea?
4: Well, that's what our mission is. We gotta find these Sark guys. Yep. Hey, guys, we ready to go?
3: Hey, Flick. Yeah, we were just about to leave. will just sort of wave listfully at corners as we, as we walk away. Kind of sad that I might never see him again so many emotions.
1: Cornus waves <laughs> back to Claire House and winks.
3: <laughs> oh, he likes you.
1: At the entrance, Bliss, the guard, sports a wide grin.
7: Hey, Bliss. Oh, I'm gonna miss you guys. Being here only a night or so, you've done so much already. Come back soon, right?
2: So, the shipment?
7: Oh, the shipment, right. You guys are takers of names,
4: souls, and shit. I know, right? Well, <laughs> I'm sure you won't have to miss us for too long. We'll be back to tear shit up and split some skulls before you know it.
7: <laughs> I love you guys. Skull crushing, blood bringing peoples. Nice drinkers, too. <laughs> yeah, so the shipment's right out back. Follow me.
1: List leads the team to a previously unnoticed side door near the entrance.
7: Hmm. It's close on you, too. I like the Sark styles on you. You look all official, and no one will mess with you like that.
2: Send my personal thanks to Hobbs for having something in my size.
1: You bet The door opens to a small storage room Containing six malnourished figures Fringers, each with a clear Sark's brand on their neck
5: This is the same fleur-de-lis pattern we saw on the kidnappers
7: uh... Hey, so here they are Two boys, four girls Cool All right, Fresh Flesh You're gonna follow these ones This one's the big one.
1: He motions to McBride. You do
7: what he says or he'll crush your skull in. Yeah. (laughs) And he'll drink from it after. He'll make it uh, like a skull cup.
4: (laughs) After filling in your eyes. (laughs) That's one of my favorite things to do. I love making skull cups. I just uh, left them at uh, the place where I usually sleep. So I don't have any with me now. (laughs) But if I did, boy, let me tell you. I'm a regular bone
1: craftsman. The younger of the two males looks away from McBride in fear.
7: <laughs> yeah, and he knows to fill in the eyes with, um, stuff. That way it doesn't ooze out the eyes when he's drinking from the, uh... <laughs> yeah. You know what he said? Yeah.
4: It's an articulate fella there. <laughs>
7: Thank you, Skull Crusher. See you later.
1: Bliss <laughs> returns to his door. I sort of feel bad about scaring
4: the slaves.
5: Is this going well?
4: Uh, <laughs> I think so. It's... It's going okay.
2: <laughs> I suppose we need to escort them then.
4: Uh, you know, places to go, skulls to crush, uh, slaves <laughs> to yep, yep, uh, yep. Let's go.
2: Is this an okay movement formation?
5: I'm going to be near the back, where there should be no fighting. <laughs> All right.
4: Um. Yeah, yeah, that works for me. So, sorry. Which in the movement order, who are this? Are the slaves in the middle?
2: Yes, that'll keep them from being grabbed and pulled away.
4: Okay, and then. Who will be Point Man?
2: Who will be
5: with me? Protecting the back, the, the flank.
2: Who wants to? That'll be me.
1: The team departs, heading south. During the mid afternoon, six hours into the travel, the main road is more frequently filled with hovels and debris that provide cover for potential ambushes. The team assesses and reduces their walking speed appropriately to avoid potential ambushes and traps. Approximately an hour later, the team reaches a narrow, unavoidable corridor. At the entrance of the corridor stand four men, armed with clubs and spears. The leading and most physically intimidating man, despite his ponytail, motions for the team to walk closer. You're in small-hand territory. You gotta pay something to talk through safe.
3: Small hand territory, huh? I don't think I've heard of you. Well, you must not be round from these parts. No, we're from about four to six hours north of here. We're the hardest gang in this land. And if I was to pay you something, uh, a toll, something like that, how would you accept it with such small hands?
1: (laughs) Think you're fucking funny!
3: He pulls out a knife. It's admittedly sort of small. Whoa, no. I'm just... I'm genuinely curious. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> that will require a deception check.
2: Oh,
4: that was great.
2: Does the knife look particularly big in his hands?
1: The knife does look <laughs> big in his hands. <laughs> Comparatively. <laughs> Comparatively, yes. You can owe us ten meal. I don't care the flavor, but you give us ten meal, you get through safe. One for each finger, we start cutting.
3: And if I don't have all my fingers, can I get a discount, or?
1: He looks at clairhouses hands, noticing that he does indeed have all ten fingers.
3: <laughs> oh, what was the DC on that? Five? You got them all. I can seize them. I was speaking hypothetically. How about I just give you a full fist instead? Five mil. <laughs> Who you guys think you are? Maybe I should let my, uh, my friend here explain that.
2: Oh, this should be fun.
3: We're the Blood Skulls. And if you're the baddest motherfuckers
4: in this place, why didn't you call yourself the Big Hands? <laughs> big Hands get stuck in things. That's why. to <laughs> <laughs> think about that one for a second. Clearly you never
1: pick up scrap from small places.
4: You don't have to pick up scrap when your work is killing. And that's what we do.
1: McBride needs to roll either an Intimidate or Persuasion check.
4: I would love to roll an Intimidate. Yes! Wow, you terrify me.
1: (laughs) The small-hand boss deflates slightly, dropping his knife as he mistakes the blood skulls with an infamous, brutal gang he's heard stories of since childhood. You know what?
8: You guys are, uh... I think we'll... We'll let you go
9: through. Just this once, you know. Uh, We want to be, uh... Friendly.
4: That's what I thought. Small hands. How considerate of you.
9: Remember this. Uh, Small hands gave you a a free passage next time you come through here
1: from the north.
4: We'll remember it, all right. Blood skulls move out. The leader picks (laughs) up
1: his knife and the small hands part. As the team passes... He fidgets with his hair, nervously.
4: All right, that was fun, but I never want to come here again. Yes.
1: <laughs> the team continues for another three hours, carefully watching their surroundings. As they get within a few blocks of their destination, passing 22nd Avenue and 7th Street, two socks are walking in the opposite direction, towards them.
10: Do they look like they're walking towards us, or that they're, like, headed past us?
1: They look at the group with caution, natural to the fringe, but they make an attempt to walk around the team. Can I tell anything else about them? That would require a successful perception check.
5: (laughs) They're rolling very well.
1: It's apparent that they're sarks based on their clothing and the tattoo on their cheeks. They appear even more well-off than other sarks the team has come across, based on their jewelry and the elaborate designs on their clothes and weapons. Both men are armed with etched machine pistols, capable of firing at a higher rate than most semi-automatics, and extravagant knives indicative of the Sock gang.
10: Okay. Can I roll Customs Fringe to see if they, uh, if they fit in? To see if maybe their jewelry is a tell that they're not who they say they are? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, they seem fine,
4: That was a crit fail. Well, we can't all roll really well, Flick. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) Noticing the brands on the slaves, the leading man waves. Hey, you guys that shipping from Hobbs? Is that you? Yeah,
3: that's us. We're uh, looking for Penny. Nice. We were sent to help you. Lot of merchants this wave been hit recently by the fifty-three aces, and Penny don't want a repeat of that happening. We appreciate it.
2: Let's walk and talk if that works.
3: Sure. Follows us. So you guys knew, you don't look like Sark. That's because we're
4: the Blood Skulls. <laughs> gotcha. You could probably guess from the name what we're
3: about. I'm Amblin, one of Penny's bests, and this is Rick's. Yo. When Penny needs something done, she can't do herself. She sends her best on done it. That's why we're here. What does the surrounding area look like? Wow. <laughs> Alveda, save some good rolls for us.
5: Peter, have you rolled poorly? No, everything <laughs> is over a 10. Oh. oh, wait, no, you had a six I rolled
3: poorly something. once, like six years ago. <laughs>
1: the surrounding area is the result of a haphazard conglomeration of an industrial yard and short apartment complexes. While an overhanging shantytown is visible on the highway overhead, the most distinct, outstanding feature in sight is an uncommonly large tower loosely in the direction that the team's traveling. Clarehout notices a group of people perched on the ledge of the thick highway above, prepared to descend. Guys, we might have a problem. What? They jump. It's the Aces! Twelve black and blue clad members of the 53 Aces rappel down from the highway using a variety of rapid ascension tools. The three women and nine men are armed with a variety of weapons, five of which are single shot pistols while every ace clutches a melee weapon of varying malice, crafted from scrap. Mm, Let me see. With a keen flick of his wrist, Investigator Clarehout produces a small pistol known as a goodnight kiss and takes fire at one of the pistol-armed aces. (gasps) The shot connects, and the ace doubles over in pain, clutching at his stomach, and now misplaced blood. Ah. His speed of descent increases as he loses control, crashing to the ground, incapacitated. Now for you. Invigorated, investigator Clairehout fires at a second target, but misses French.
3: Flick
10: will follow Sylvanus' lead and shoot the same guy with a pistol and knife using his own pistol.
1: Flick pulls out his pistol, offering it whispers and a thankful kiss. One for good luck, Six. Before shooting the incapacitated ace between the eyes.
4: Uh, so does it seem apparent to us that the Sark and Hamlin set us up, or is it not apparent that that's the case?
1: Their eyes are wide and their mouths hang open in disbelief. McBride, drinking in the spread of violence, draws up his pipe. His grip whitens around the metal. (laughs) People's expanding as veins across his neck and arms undulate him rise. The physical manifestations of his enraged state. Nobody takes on the blood skulls and gets away with it! Junior Engineer McBride, pipe in his right hand, swings at the head of the closest ace, whose feet are scarcely touching the ground. The pipe collides across the ace's jaw, teeth cracking as the jaw sags, dislocated. The ace spins once before landing on his back with a sickening thud.
4: He does kind of like a, that's the power of the keyblade, kind of like spin with the pipe and ready to take on the next ambusher.
1: Agent Sogot flicks her wrist, causing a gun concealed on her wrist brace to silently eject from its casing. The pistol is similar to Claire Hout's model, but older, smaller, and holding only four shots. Agent Sorgoth catches it, clip sliding into position, extending the grip so that she can hold it with every finger.
2: And I'm ready to take the first of my four shots.
1: She fires at the closest gun-toting assailant and hits her target in the arm, wounding him. Armed with a sword, one ace reaches the ground and grasps one of the slaves around the torso. Still tethered to his harness, he braces himself for rapid ascension. More of the aces, armed with clubs. Avoid McBride, and grab two slaves as the other had. Hey, Three further that. aces struggle with the frantic arms of the remaining slaves. One ace slashes at McBride, cutting his upper <clears throat> bicep as another swings at Clarehout, who swiftly dodges out of the way at the last second.
4: Is that all you got?
1: Another <clears throat> ace shoots Agent Sogat in the shoulder. Hawk's concealed pistol fails, ejecting improperly and catching itself through her sleeve. It fires off the accidental round while she momentarily fumbles. The two socks focused on reaching cover, unholster their pistols and shoot wildly at the aces.
5: I draw my gun and I take a shot for the head of the ace on my right.
1: Azad pulls out a sizable Atrian pistol and uses her privacy hood to target the nearest ace that's grappling a slave. Her bullet enters one temple and exits the other.
5: Oh, Reeve, I shot someone!
1: I'm going to pull
3: out my utility knife and try my luck cutting the cable of the guy nearest to me.
1: Is it, cuttable? The cables appear to be made from a thick, elastic substance, and Clairehout suspects he could cut them with his utility knife. I will try to do that.
3: not sure what skill that would be. Cutting cord? Just try for a nat 20 on that.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Investigator Clairehout approaches an ace who's grappled the slave and severs his rapid ascension tether. The (laughs) ace ducks as the blade runs near, taking a step back with the slave and bending his knees before proceeding with a slight, smug hop. His sneer of satisfaction fades as nothing happens, and the realization of his lost escape sets in. Awesome. The slave begins to struggle and bite, fighting to distance herself from her assailant.
4: I'm sorry that this isn't getting you any closer to freedom.
1: Flick shifts his grip on his pistol, brandishing the blade end, and makes an ill-timed and futile attempt ah. to stab the confused ace, who loses his grip on the woman.
4: Right, so that guy just hit me, and I'm going to say that I'm raging, and I'm pretty mad, so I'm going to hit him. I'll fuck it up. Look at that shit
1: McBride turns to face his own attacker Raises his metal pipe into the air And brings it squarely crashing upon his target's head Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. bone The ace collapses in a heap on the floor
4: Horatius raises his metal pipe into the air Says skull crushers Because he has actually crushed a skull (laughs) (laughs) And then prepares for his next combatant
2: Cassius is rather upset with the Fringer with the pistol and the sword and shoots at him again.
1: Agent Saugat takes aim and shoots her target between the eyes. As the woman droops, lifeless, the rapid ascension tether slowly pulls her body into the air.
4: That'll be a grim message for whoever's working that tether.
1: Don't worry, I got you. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) An ace wielding a knife and sword slashes at Saugat, aggravated as the sark-clad agent dodges. (laughs) After missing, he uses the inertia of his swing to initiate his rapid ascension. Another ace grabs one of the slaves, while two of his comrades fail to do so. As the grappler, whose tether was cut by Clairhout, realizes that their surprise advantage is lost, he turns to run.
4: I got him! Cut the cord or we don't get the loot. Uh, Horatius uh, has a metal pipe that cannot cut things.
2: Sorry. It's like
1: a pinata. However, McBride strikes him in the small of his back. Ah! A step and a half after the sickening crack, the ace tumbles into a heap on the ground. Crippled and immobilized, Hawks fires at the ace who's halfway up to the overpass and misses. Ricks, however, takes aim and hits his mark. The shot grazes the ace's shoulder, giving the 90-pound slave just enough leverage to struggle free. And begin to fall. From a height of 40 feet. Oh shit. She lands, taking minimal damage, atop McBride. I can't shoot.
3: McBride what,
1: what shrugs what off happened? the impact, confused, unaware that he's just saved her life. And. Boom. Hamblin shoots at an ace armed with a club along the spine, incapacitating him.
5: I aim at the woman with the scrap sword.
1: Azad aims at the second to last ace, a woman using a slave as a shield, and shoots her to the neck. Grasping desperately at her throat, from which fluids and air escape, the ace crumbles to the ground. I guess I'd better not take any chances here. Let's try another shot.
5: Or capture him for interrogation. Oh, well.
1: Investigator how takes out the final ace, toppling him and concluding the combat. Their paintings are about to be worth a lot of money.
10: Uh, <laughs> I don't think these people are the painting
1: type. The surviving ace above, who was shot in the shoulder, ascends while another two jump into the air and rapidly ascend as the rest are left to die or rot. Some of the bodies still attached to tethers are also jerked into the air, the unseemly sight of a lifeless body swinging, twitching, and rising into the air. The slaves return to a huddle, and Hamblin assists in the looting while Ricks keeps his gun trained on the overpass.
5: I'm going to loot the bodies while people talk because I
2: don't want to talk to people.
4: Horatius, uh... He kind of comes out of his rage, he sinks onto one knee, and he says, Okay, give me, give me a sec, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta calm down a little bit, and then we can talk about, uh, whatever.
10: <laughs> uh, Flick is searching bodies. He'll start with anyone that had a pistol.
3: Nice thinking there, Flick. I'm just gonna take my time putting my goodnight kiss back in my sleeve and survey the damage. Look over at Diana and say, nice shot. We might have to change our name to the (laughs) Bloodnecks.
5: She just kind of nods a little bit. Like, this doesn't... Nothing means anything out
2: here. Makes no sense. I'll move to guard the back. Keep an eye on the overpass or for scavengers.
1: In the looting process, Azad acquires four 9mm bullets and Flick acquires five 9mm bullets and a sword made from scrap. They also find poorly crafted shivs, blades, and a single empty tin. It's apparent that the aces didn't want to be weighed down.
5: I'm going to see if they have anything else of value.
1: That would require a successful perception check.
5: Oh, I didn't add my four, so it would have been a 20.
1: Azad finds six empty shells, a sword made from scrap, some string, and a set of lucky ears that compose a necklace on the two bodies she's able to loot. They didn't have much of value.
5: All right, I take whatever I can find.
1: Azad pockets the shells, string... (laughs) ears
5: oh i don't want the ears (laughs) no yeah i don't no don't want those she doesn't
1: pocket (laughs) the ears but does find a sewing needle
4: oh
5: okay carefully take that
4: now we can sew a patch for where i got hit do any of the club users have a club that is nicer than my metal pipe
1: mcbride eyes the pick-ended club considering its better balance and heft over that of his pipe
4: Mm, this is pretty cool
1: While picking it up, McBride ponders the many uses of a pick-ended club with such a wickedly sinister hooked point. It could be used to pierce armor, disarm, or even trip opponents if swung appropriately.
5: Cool. I'd also like to pick up the two shells from the bullets that I fired.
1: Azad retrieves her spent bullet casings. Spending ample time to search, Flick finds a shoddy single-shot scrap pistol, a curved scrap sword, <laughs> particularly nice boots that aren't quite his size, Ooh. and racoy dice. Okay. The boots have noticeably nice laces.
10: Ooh. Yeah, I'll I'll take the dice and I'll I'll take the boots.
1: Hamblin finishes off the living aces with his knife as he loots them.
4: All right, I should get out of here quick. Not nice to stick around after a killing like this. Right, let's go.
1: The team talks among themselves quietly during the remaining walk to the throb.
2: So what's the plan for talking to Penny? Are we just going to let Horatius talk about his bloody skull cups and ask where the two missing sarks are? We can't just say, we're looking for your people.
4: (laughs) Hey now, my skull cup collection is actually pretty nice. Uh, why don't you just say that you wanted to
10: find out what you need to be sarks, and that your friends are the guys you're looking for.
2: Why are we letting Flick in our huddle? Anything we say to each other, we can say around Flick. I trust him with my life, so long as we make sure he's paid. I appreciate that, Cass. The payment? That's
10: always nice, too.
5: Okay, we could say that we want to know more about what it's like to be a Sark, but then why would, we ask, why would we be asking two very specific lower Sarks instead of asking just any general Sark?
4: Why don't we just tell her that the two Sarks were looking forward to disrespect at the Blood Skulls? Maybe they, they torched our hideout and we want to get them back for it or something. I don't know. Because she is a Sark. Well, yeah, sure, but we just did her a big favor, and maybe she doesn't care about these guys that much. Might be, like, a fair trade.
5: I don't like the word might when we're surrounded by these people.
4: (laughs) Well, I don't know how it uh, works out here. You know, I mean, of course I do, because I've lived here. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, you know what I mean.
10: (laughs) Uh, The way things work around here is that if they value something more than the goons, they might give up the goons. How close is she to this person?
5: I don't want to be the one to ask.
10: Yeah, that might not be a good idea.
5: How well do you know this person that works for you? Would you mind us bringing them somewhere else and possibly killing them?
2: (laughs) No, that's not going to work.
10: Well, not with the little context that I have
2: anyway. So, do we want to let myself or Flick do the talking?
4: That's a good question, Cassius. What do you guys think? You're the ones who are going to have to do it. Oh, let's just see how this goes. What does that mean?
5: (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Oh, Reef.
1: (laughs) As the sun sets, the team is escorted to their target at 5th Street and 21st Avenue, the Throb. Approaching the stout building, the air lightens, the humid pressure disappearing as the air turns chill and crisp, and the echoes of live music get ever closer. The heavy double doors to the club are guarded by sarks. And as they pass, the team begins to realize how truly defensible the unassuming building is. It's a fortress, complete with sally ports, smart glass walls, traps, and reinforced cover that would protect against any foreseeable method of straightforward attack. From inside, the sounds of singing and a combination of percussive glass and plastic chimes fills the air. The voice is haunting, and the melody is strangely familiar... One that haunted Atreus during the Red War.
0: What's up with this, Hamblin? Shipment from Penny. Hi. Right, you're good. Go in. One of you needs to settle up with Rix.
2: Oh, I'll help. I'll go with you, Hawk. Oh, great.
1: Thanks, Gaz. Kate, follow me. Hamblin guides the rest of the team to a private chamber, overlooking the main room, and motions for the team to enter. It's dark within, but a faint feminine silhouette can be seen, standing near the dark window. As the team enters, she doesn't turn her gaze from the window. Hamblin leaves, closing the door silently in his wake.
6: Hobbs told me who you are and why you are here. Penny, I presume? Yes. A shipment of slaves from Hobbs. How do you know Hobbs? We've been doing some work for him. I'm aware of his much. He must really be fond of you if he's offering this much help. But why would he help you? We're likable people. That doesn't add. What have you got on him? A nice secret, perhaps?
1: Penny smiles subtly, but her eyes remain steeled as she turns toward the group. We're just trying to survive out here.
6: So, what do you want?
3: Well, now that we've brought you the six, we're hoping to talk to two of your men. Ski and Denner.
6: Ah, the traitors. I would like very much to see them hurt. So it's fortunate for both of us that you're asking about them.
3: Well, yeah, that
10: was, uh, that was our plan the whole time. Yeah,
4: (laughs) those guys fucked up our blood skull hideout. You have any idea how many skulls it takes to make an entire blood skull hideout? They (laughs) fucked it up, so we've been looking for them ever since. (laughs) Where the hell are the... Where are they, ma'am? Please, thank you. (laughs)
1: Penny's smile grows, and she seems genuinely amused by McBride.
6: Well, to get to the heart of it, they are no longer sarks. They've turned their backs to us and found some sort of god. Really? What, uh, who? Something called the Children of Melichor. It's a fucking cult. And where might we find this fucking cult? There's a particularly large tower near here. You might have seen it on the way down. That's their territory.
3: Do you know anything about how many they've got?
6: I know that they prevent their members from enjoying my establishments, and that these cultists are extremely loyal. Beyond that, they're looking to bring about something called the Awakening, which can't be helpful for business.
4: Well, they can't make an awakening happen if we beat the shit out of them, and that's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> Thanks for the info.
3: You said you wanted to see them hurt. Any uh, reward in it for us if we make that happen?
6: I'm already rewarding you by giving you approval to kill two former sarks.
4: That's plenty. That's probably a fair point. However, uh, I'd like to ask one more extremely small favor of you <laughs> if you don't mind.
1: Penny stares intensely at McBride with unblinking steel eyes. He fidgets nervously.
4: I'd like to take a few hours to rest because we had to bloody a bunch of skulls on the way here in a way that made me really tired. (laughs) Could you give us a room for the night,
6: please? That's agreeable. Your shipment arrived intact. Thanks.
1: All right. Well, uh... Penny smiles at McBride.
6: May the Archon watch over you. What? Oh,
1: shit! Sorry, that wasn't right? a character. <laughs> um, <laughs> the team visibly reacts. Can I not react to that? That would require a successful deception check. Eesh. Never mind. Claire Hout's lips twinge slightly as if to instinctively respond, but no words come out.
3: Sorry, just had an itch.
1: <laughs> My mustache there. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Before he got his new nickname, we used to call him Sneezy because he always sneezed all the time, and it looked just like that. (laughs) Anyway, let's
3: get out of here, Bloodstool. (laughs) Let's go to our room. (laughs) Trying not to laugh is just making it worse. (laughs) It was between that scar and skull cup originally.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As the doors close behind the team, a text prompt appears on all their smart technology. Simultaneously pinged from a nearby short-range hotspot relay It's an urgent reminder for the team to meet with Tongs at the research station on 7th and 15th But no one in the party recalls creating this reminder Because she's the only one wearing a privacy hood Only Azad is currently aware of this The team reaches their room Taking an hour to relax and eat
4: I'm still really upset We killed a citizen I mean, I was trying to stay cheery and sound confident in the moment for his sake, but... That really messed me up. Not to mention that Fringer guy who said I literally just smashed in
2: with a metal pipe. We really didn't have any other options in either situation. We could
5: not have rescued Agent Kagome. As Claire Hout said, there really wasn't enough of him left to save, and trying to move him would not only have put our lives in danger, but very well could have compromised the entire reason we're out here.
4: Yeah, that makes sense, but I still don't like it. How the fringe are all of you staying so fucking calm about it?
10: Well, uh, this sort of thing is pretty
3: normal for me. Cassius, you said you're trained for this sort of thing, right?
2: Yeah. Similarly to the Special Defense Force, we're mentally conditioned to be ready for these sorts of situations. Though after the mission, I'll still be seeing a psychologist.
5: Well... Since we're all in this together, I guess now is as great a time as any to admit that I'm also part of some semi-secret government organization. What? Really? Yes, but dissimilarly to Cassius. I'm just a sort of secretive in-house protective detail within the Advanced Technology Division. If you can't finish your degree, but you're able to meet certain requirements, people like me stay on as part lab assistant, part bodyguard... Uh, at least for my division.
3: Why would a lab need undercover protection?
5: While generally unspoken, most know about some level of interdepartmental strife within the Department of Research and Development. A few decades ago, the Archon became extremely interested in the Advanced Technology Division, and she offered incentives to specific scientific labs to spur a push for performance. The competition is fiercely aggressive, with failing labs losing allocation and being reassigned. And has only worsened. There is a great deal of secrecy within the entire division, and during the last decade it's become a commonplace for scientists to spy on or even sabotage each other. Uh, the division heads have not changed the incentive program, so the results are all that matter. Director Yale's input has been to encourage further secrecy. At some point my subdivision was formed to safeguard the scientific programs from themselves, or at least to try.
4: Interesting. Wow. You know, Diana, out of all of us, I would never have expected that you'd be the one keeping a secret from us. I mean, Cassius, yeah, clear how totally, but you? Oh no. But I feel like we all know each other's dark secrets now. Flick is secretly really deep in debt. You're a secret. Science bodyguard thing. Sylvanus and Cassius like to take showers with each other with <laughs> chains.
3: Uh. <laughs> I didn't think any of you could hear that. Yeah,
5: sorry guys, we totally heard you.
4: Which is totally okay, because... They're both consenting adults, and I feel like i got to tell you my secret now, too. Oh, this ought to be good. Well, you know, you may have noticed that uh, out there back in the field, I was swinging that pipe with my right hand. Uh, in actuality, I could uh, use either hand. I'm ambidextrous. I wanted to save that for a really dramatic moment when, you know, maybe someone's broken my right arm and they think I'm not going to be able to fight them. And I just come out and I really slug them hard with my left hand, and then I can say, You just got left-handed by <laughs> Horatius McBride! Take that, and nobody'd be expecting it. That's the uh, that's the kind of thing I was going for, but uh, I guess it won't be a surprise to all of you now because now you know. Ha! Huh. Would have guessed. Well, anyway, now you know, and uh, it won't come up again, unless you know I have the chance to bust out some left hand knowledge on the chin of an unsuspecting fringer. <laughs> oh boy. Ah
5: yes. I forgot to tell you all. uh, We got a message from Agent Tongs. He wants to meet us as soon as possible at 7th and 15th.
4: Uh, When are are we supposed to do that?
5: Immediate, Soon.
4: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I need, like, a short but indeterminate amount of time to sit down, and then we can go.
5: (laughs) The message was a short wave. I'm going to send out a ping, kind of like a read-reply. My ping came back. They know we received the message. All right, so let's just rest, and then we can go.
1: McBride no longer feels exhausted.
2: We also take special precautions to stay hydrated, because it's very important to always stay hydrated.
1: That is important.
2: Yeah, totally. It'll kill you quicker than a blade out, here.
3: Did Cassius need any medical attention, by the way?
2: I can take care of myself. Thank you, though. Mm, I mean, fuck you, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. The team prepares to leave.
5: Once we leave, there's no saying as to whether or not we can come back to this Sark establishment. I don't really think Penny wants us here. Yeah, probably not. So we need to get information regarding where this cult is before we leave.
3: I thought we were i yeah, had already a been a giant formed. tower nearby.:
5: There's Sorry. a giant tower nearby, alrighty then
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs> okay, so giant tower, and we don't know anything about it yet, like defense wise. again, could we ask some sarks because if they knew the other sarks, they might have tried to recruit some guys here.
2: That's not illogical, but we'll have to leave the room to do that.
5: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's logical, but at the same time my, D- Diana's character is kind of along the lines of oh, I have to speak to somebody? That's not gonna happen. Charisma is literally zero. It's like not not anything she would ever do. Especially because all these people smell horrible. You know. Except you, Hawk. And, and Flick.
4: Fuck you very much. <sighs> Well, I guess we gotta head out there and do that meeting.
1: The team departs. The team walks through the night cautiously, heading to the intersection of 7th Street and 15th Avenue. In the poorly lit street, they can make out little action, disconcerting for the realm of nocturnal fringes. Reaching the area of interest, a short windowless building with a reinforced but worn door stands out under pale yellow tinted lights. Can I figure anything out about it? That would require a successful perception or investigation check. Whoa, that's a natural 20. <laughs> a boy. Peter Lewis is Sylvanus Clairehout in Dice Master. <laughs> <laughs> Investigator Clarehout notes that the building seems unmolested, unmarred, untagged, and surprisingly undamaged. Despite scuff marks and a few peppered bullet holes, it seems like one of the most immaculate buildings they've come across. After some examination, he concludes that the damage is intentional. A choice of aesthetics and camouflage. Can I... Swipe my mark? Claire Hout locates a concealed hand scanner next to the door. Ta-da! Flick blinks in uncertain confusion as the doors open.
2: This is one of those any markers. Is it true they blow your head up if you don't got the mark? Getting cold feet, Hawk? No, just warming up to a new deal. So long as you pay me as nice as Flick says, I'll follow you to the Archon's bedroom.
5: That was repaying her, Cassius.
2: I already negotiated the deal, don't worry. She's getting my cut of the earnings.
1: Agent Sogot winks at Azad.
2: And she's trustworthy enough to join us this far. How can you be sure? Just trust me.
10: Hey, so, uh, Hawk's question is still a nice one. This thing gonna blow up our heads?
2: No this one at least doesn't have the proper technology to do that
10: oh okay
1: the door opens sliding into the wall revealing a short hallway every surface of the corridor is perforated cleaned smart glass reminiscent of some laboratories or perhaps prisons there may be a door down at the far side of the hallway but it's difficult to confirm without stepping in
5: is the smart glass like can we tell if it's Scanning us or
1: with nothing inside the room. The smart glass appears to be inactive.
5: Oh.
3: So what will happen if we take our dear friend Flick into a technological paradise?
2: And if his head doesn't explode. Uh
3: what will
2: happen? It'll be fine. We'll just say that he and Hawk are my associates. It's not abnormal at all, assuming Tongs has my file on record. Understood. Well,
3: fair enough.
5: Not really understood, but alright. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So Hawk can be trusted, too, then? Completely. We had a nice conversation, and she'll be joining us for the foreseeable future.
5: Okay, great. I'll just be myself around them. I have a much (laughs) larger vocabulary.
2: Oh, really? (laughs) Are
10: you trying to tell me that you ain't fringes? I'm
5: shocked! Hardy <laughs> har har.
4: Really, I thought I was doing a pretty good job with the... Bl- ah, whatever, let's just go inside.
5: Well, you're, you're keeping higher company, could you at least attempt to smell it better? Please? You too? She turns to Hawk. I take offense to that, Annie.
10: I think that maybe you should work on playing the part a little more. Wouldn't hurt you to get a little stinkier, in my opinion.
5: Oh, it would hurt. It would really <laughs> hurt. <laughs> you know, we could smell you from a bloke away.
3: Well, then, thank you.
5: I'm surprised I can smell anything, ma'am.
2: You know I can hear you. <laughs> At this point, Diana walks inside. <laughs>
1: As the last person steps into the hallway, the door slides shut. The glass around them displays holograms, data, numbers, and images indicating the scanning of biometric vitals.
5: Ah, the sweet glow of computer light.
1: Which I'm seeing for the first time. <clears throat> After a few moments, the floor jolts as the room descends slowly toward the basement floor. All are taken aback by the unforeseen elevator. Decontamination in progress. Please remain calm. The temperature rises and a misty spray dispenses from above. ah, While moist, the mist dries ah. almost immediately on contact.
2: It's a shower, sort of. I promise it's not going to kill you. I says you.
3: Yeah, it'll just make you smell nicer.
1: Complete. Please step forward. Actually, I uh, do smell nice. Double doors manifest from the glass and slide open, revealing a room dominated by a multitude of oddly positioned metal and glass walls, forming some rudimentary maze. The resulting effect is a large area filled with ample hiding spaces and protective cover, an ideal choke point in case of attack from the outside. Within moments, the team is greeted by three RAD soldiers and two scientists blanking Agent Tongs.
2: Agent Tongs. Well, hey there.
1: You made it. Excellent.
8: I'm extremely curious how your mission has progressed thus far. Who are the... extras?
2: These are our new associates, Flick and Hawk.
8: Surely you don't mean to infer that- As an
2: agent of the DFS, I have full authority to use whatever methods I deem necessary to succeed in my mission.
8: You're with the DFS.
2: Surely you knew that when sending us into the Fringe. I thought that was why you assigned us to go out in the first place, and assumed that my comrades had some sort of similar covert experience not listed in their profiles.
4: I was trained to be a soldier in the Special Defense Force, before becoming a minor.
8: I'm afraid the situation is as dire as I'd implied during our previous conversation. Please follow me and let us discuss the more pressing issue privately.
1: Absolutely, lead on. Tongs leads the team into a smaller room. It's a minor cafeteria-style room, with a large mirrored wall a table, and enough chairs for both the group and Tongs. The soldiers and scientists stand at the edges of the room, watching in commanded silence.
5: Does Tongs look more, like, tired out than the last time we saw him?
1: Tongs looks visibly tired to his odd, more so than when she last saw him. Could you transfer your report? Uh, yep, sure, sure, why not?
8: While the data is transferring, can one of you provide a verbal account of your investigation since we last spoke?
4: <laughs> oh, boy. A lot. A lot of things have happened since we last spoke. Let's see. Uh, so we were let loose in the fringe territory, and the first thing we did was head to an establishment of ill repute known as the Whole Pope. <laughs> uh, well, <while> there... <coughs> excuse me. We immediately began seeking information necessary to complete our mission objective. Uh, wound up having to trade a few unsavory favors with some unsavory characters in pursuit of such objective ultimately discovered that, uh, <coughs> discovered that uh, the target we're seeking is in the hands of two uh, former members of the Sark gang who seem to have joined a strange death cult. Uh, we were in the process of preparing to infiltrate the cult and extract the two Sarks when we received a reminder to come to this location to meet with you. Uh, that's what happened
8: to Hobbs? Did you see him?
5: Yes. Uh, he...
3: Was he well? Uh... Better than his partner.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. When you sent Hobbs, um, or is that just his Sark name?
8: That is a false name he uses. I suppose I probably shouldn't say his actual name, security protocols and such.
5: When you sent him, uh, we now know that you sent him with a, uh, partner... Um, the partner was the one that was supplying the information that was putting him in a poor position. Wait, exp- um, Because the partner was. Explain
8: this. What did this partner do? You're jumping uh, to something I'm, that I don't. That's,
5: that's what I'm saying next. Uh, <laughs> so the partner had been captured by a gang called the. And <laughs> she just looks at the others because she's forgotten the name.
3: Archon Slayers.
5: Archon Slayers. Um, and they were specifically looking or extracting, um, with air quotes, information regarding possible Atrians living within the Fringe,
2: and because of the knowledge that Hobbs' partner had... He became an asset to this gang. He was near death when we found him, captured and tortured to the point where we could no longer move him. It was impossible for him to have a meaningful life even if we could. So we had to eliminate him to secure Hobbs' identity. He died without pain, and as a result Hobbs should still be able to maintain his cover for some time. Though there are certain threats we were unable to help him with.
8: He's a dedicated citizen, and I thank you sincerely for assisting him. As you were saying about a death
4: cult. Uh, yes, uh, it appears that the Atrian Has Gone Missing was taken from Atreus to the Fringe by these two ex-sarks. ...who have now joined this cult. They are based out of a large tower, which uh, we were in rather close proximity to prior to attending this meeting. Uh, We actually passed it on the way to try to find them in Sark territory.
8: Okay. What do you know about the cult?
4: Not much. Uh, Evidently it's a rather secretive organization. Our uh, contact... Uh, among the Sarks indicated to us that those uh, members of the cult who do visit her establishment are not free to discuss their goings-on or to indulge as much as she would like in her services. Interesting.
5: They are working towards something called an awakening?
1: Whatever that is.
5: Um, And what were they called? What was, like, the something of the somethings?
1: Children of Melichor, I believe. One of the scientists perks up.
9: So these children... Most particular. Who did you say informed you of this?
4: Uh, Sark by the name of Penny, who runs, I guess, an inn, or a sort of establishment such as that, about eight blocks away from here.
9: So what
8: physical evidence did you find of this cult, if any?
4: Uh, we have been informed that uh, they are in a large tower. We've seen the tower. That is literally all that we are, that we know about this cult.
5: Wait, no, 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 no.
4: No. Just kidding, I think Diana here has a little more info.
5: <laughs> Previously, while we were investigating the missing persons case, we found a note, and it contained information on an obscure sect of Fringers called the Children of Melakor. apparently an offshoot of the NCO. It, they, they claim that the Archon is a liar and unfit to rule, and that she makes, like, this face that's in opposition to what she is saying. It also claims that Fringers are the only true free beings and she pretty much just sends over the mysterious note like and they have a something of a writing it was written by Shijokoi's or Guiyan yeah this is really poorly written um and she hands it over to them
4: see this is why Diana is such an upstanding citizen I forgot <laughs> about that I forgot about that why didn't you mention this sooner well I forgot about it <laughs> my apologies Uh,
5: An odd note that we found in someone's book didn't seem like the biggest issue when you were telling us that we were going out into the fringe as
4: civilians.
8: Do you have the book?
4: Been an intense couple of days. Uh, By the Archon, do we have the book? uh, Well, uh, Horatius rifles through his smelly belongings. Uh, I do not have the book. I don't think I ever did, so I guess that's... uh...
5: One of us has a physical journal of Hadrian's notes, in addition to the translated writings of Shijikou <laughs> And
3: uh, confidentially, are we are we safe here? Are we thinking we should give it to them?
5: Um, unless you, I think, okay, any 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 would believe that they should. Um, if you're from the inner city, you're kind of brainwashed into thinking that you should. <laughs> I know that if I try to go against it, I have to roll for it.
9: <laughs> so you have knowledge of this, cult, And it's connected to Hadrian somehow. We believe so.
5: Of that I am not sure. None of this is making any sense.
9: Agent Sogot, you've been fairly
2: quiet. There are too many variables to confirm additional details at this time.
3: Is there any way I can look around a little first here? Just see if there's anything off?
1: This will require a perception check. Of the guards in the room... Two are armed with standard-issue shotguns and pistols, while the third is armed with a triple-barreled shotgun that Clarehout recognizes as a Hydra. The scientists present are both concealing some rather unique modified hammerhead model pistols that look identical to Azad's. Their badges indicate that they work for the Advanced Technology Division. In addition, Investigator Clarehout notices that one of the guards, the one with the Hydra, seems to be sweating nervously. Can I
3: look at the guy who's sweating profusely and just say, I'm sorry, I I didn't catch your name. Nice to meet you. I'm Officer Quinton. Quinton, good to meet you. Frankly, it's been a long day. Let me just sit down and try to remember where I'm keeping the journal here. Talk amongst yourselves.
1: As Clairhout feigns rummaging through his pack, he's able to successfully scan the soldiers and scientists. The R.A.D. officers are listed as Tertullius Quinton, Volganinius Matsumoto, and Operator Reyes. They each have second-tier lethality marks and bachelor's degrees, and with a bit of hacking, he can see that they are currently assigned to guard a subterranean prison complex known as the Sub-8. It appears they have not reported for duty in three weeks, and are considered missing persons. I'm sorry, I, I must have lost it somewhere. I don't seem to have it here. The scientists, Dr. Morales and Dr. Eklund, work for the Division of Advanced Technology under the Department of Research and Development. All additional information appears to be classified. Interesting.
3: Do I need to uh, do a deception check for what I just said there? The, uh, I can't seem to find it.
1: Claire Hout is under the impression that the scientists do not suspect the team would lie to them, as they are fellow citizens. Okay. They seem significantly more preoccupied with Flick Whose presence makes them visibly uncomfortable. <laughs> Not Hawk? They seem to be under the impression that Hawk might be an undercover agent based on her calm demeanor. A stark contrast to Flick's nervous disposition. Ha.
5: Um, I'm gonna look up them. It's like, we've been out there for a while now. Is there any way we could sleep on an actual bed and then go back out there?
1: The data finishes transferring. Yes,
8: that is certainly something we can do. Your mission is complete. Your services will no longer be required. Dr. Morales will finish a quick debriefing, and then you'll be escorted home. You can rest in your own beds tonight. I need to submit my report to my... to the director, uh, Director Yale in person. Thank you for your dedication, citizens.
3: May you endure.
2: May the Archon watch over you.
3: Actually, Tongs... I'm sorry, go ahead, never mind. Tongs leaves the room.
2: I want
5: to go into the the thing that I have access to um, and see if Yale is actually his supervisor.
1: Director Yale heads the Department of Research and Development. This consists of all scientific research, including new divergences and advanced technology, as well as maintenance for such structures in the city. But this department has nothing to do with fringer relations or special services. Okay. I have some additional questions regarding
9: Citizen Baker. Did you ever see him?
2: Only in recordings.
9: And everything you know of him is included in your report.
3: Well, we know a little bit about his family, but otherwise, yes, it should all be in there. Is there a way that I can just uh kick Horatius a little bit under the table without anybody seeing? Investigator Clarehout kicks McBride under the table. And give him a look? Look of you might
1: need to rage again in a minute? Just possibly. Investigator Clarehout kicks McBride under the table again. Harder.
4: Oh! That oh, uh, Sorry, got a... got a cramp in my leg. I... I understand what this cramp means. Are you getting those too? Yeah, we've been walking...
2: Yeah, you've been out (coughs) here walking
5: around too long.
9: Then, I suppose that concludes our debriefing. What you did was admirable. You can never speak of this to anyone, etc., etc.
3: Any questions on your end? If I may ask, before the not speaking of this to anyone begins, what's this building for? It's very... Interesting. I was noticing outside, it seems to be designed to look uh, like it's been here a while, but it uh, clearly is newer than everything else. It's it's a
9: research facility. We conduct research here of a top-secret nature,
3: advanced technology.
9: We're enhancing the world for future generations, bettering things like meal production speed, efficiency, things of that nature.
5: Okay, this is totally up my alley. Does she know (laughs) this to be true?
1: Azad has never heard of this facility. Or such a project claiming to enhance meal production speed efficiency?
5: She, she has the queerest look on her face.
9: Well, while I appreciate your thirst for knowledge, I can't really divulge more about what we work on here. And while I appreciate your cooperation and diligence, it's clear that your loyalties lie with the false Archon, and that you know too much. May you feel the echoes of the Awakening, even in death.
1: Uh-huh. What? <laughs>
0: Liberty Vigilance is produced and created by Travis Fengroff, with editing and writing assistance from K.A. Stats. Starring Peter Lewis, Sean Francis, Caitlin Buckley, Caitlin Stats, and Daniel Thorson, with narration by Wayne June. Guest voices include Heather McClellan, Russ Moore, Daniel Demeron, Graham Rowat, Andrew Spittle, Christian Ferris, Michael Hall, Shannon Blatto, Kareem Cromfley, and Nicole Doolin. The music was created by Ryan McQuinn, Stephen Malin, Brandon Strader, and Brandon Boone. Vigilance was mixed and mastered by Brandon Strader with cover art by Dan Stanek. The original Game Master was Travis Vengroff with assistance by K.A. Stats. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon team. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please consider supporting us on Patreon or by liking and reviewing our show on iTunes. We'd also especially like to thank citizens Zach Israel, Fallon Gannon, Antonin Scalia, Adam Farber, Scott Morrison, Austin Barth, and Jonathan Wade. This broadcast is a creation of Fool and Scholar Productions. Thank you for listening, and may the Archon watch over you.
4: They're both consenting adults, and I feel like i got to tell you my secret now, too. Oh, this ought to be good. Well, uh, You know, I may seem like a pretty tough guy, but actually, uh, I've been taking painting classes when I'm not uh, performing my duties, uh, you know, in the mine. It's uh, very soothing. Uh, the kind of work that I do can often be uh, pretty stressful. You know, you're, you're tucked away in this really dark, deep cavern... And, uh, you're kind of stuck in there with a bunch of other sweaty men and women, and, uh, when I get out of there, it's nice to just, uh, take some paint and do whatever I want with a canvas. It's nice. It's nice. It's a normal thing that normal people do. It's fine. Ha! Huh. would have guessed. Well, anyway, now you know, and, uh, it won't come up again.
5: We totally heard you.
4: Just totally okay, because they're both consenting adults, and I feel like I gotta tell you my secret now, too. Oh, this ought to be good. I, uh, know that I seem like a pretty normal and healthy citizen, but actually I, um, have a... I'm sick. I'm sick with the kind of disease that you really don't get better from over time. Uh, the physicians I've seen don't really know how much time I have left. Part of why I was so keen to accept this assignment, I wanted to test myself and learn some things about my true nature before it was too late. I work hard to provide for my family and so that hopefully they'll have the means to carry on in a comfortable and honorable fashion well after I'm gone. Ha huh. would have guessed. Well, anyway, now you know, and uh, it won't come up again. I'm both consenting adults and I feel like I got to tell you my secret now too. Oh, this ought to be good. I wet the bed until I was 14. No sense in holding that back, I guess, since I know all this wacky stuff about you guys. May as well tell you that. I uh, had some kind of problem with my bladder, and it's solved now. Good to go. Doesn't happen to me anymore. Uh, My incredibly attractive girlfriend can attest to that. It's fine. It's totally fine. Ha! I would have guessed. Well, anyway, now you know, and uh, it won't come up again.